the Museum of South Texas History preserves and presents the borderline heritage of South Texas and Northeastern Mexico by telling the stories from the Rio Grande. Neil, you mentioned in the previous episode a few packing sheds by name. What were the other packing sheds in the Rio Grande Valley? Where were those located? Pamela, there were packing sheds all over the valley. Uh, Charles Wetter Grove was in Raymondville in Willesee County. Uh, Central Valley Central Sales was in Santa Rosa in the in Cameron County. Star Produce was in Rio Grande City in Star County. But most of the packing sheds were in Hidalgo County. And what were the most famous packing sheds in Hidalgo County? Uh, fame in the produce business usually comes with packing volume, package volume. Uh, large numbers of packages sold to many places spread your reputation. So the largest sheds were the most famous. Uh, on the citrus side, Texas Citrus Exchange was the famous name in citrus marketing. But they were a marketing co-op cooperative with many packing shed members. Among the vegetable and melon shippers, Griffin and Brand was most famous because of the sheer volume and international reach. Uh, but other famous ones, uh, in no particular order, were J.S. McManus Company, Lomantillo Cullum Collier, Teddy Bertuca Company, Plantation Produce, and Valley Onion, Inc. What were the specialties of those particular packing sheds? Uh, all these shippers had their own product mixes that fit their knowledge base and their facilities. The citrus houses pretty much kept to citrus fruits. The holding temperature for grapefruit, for instance, is 50 to 60 degrees Fahrenheit, whereas the holding temperature for most valley winter vegetables is 36 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, holding and shipping both types of produce from the same holding room is not feasible. J.S. McManus and Teddy Bertuca were large volume shippers of leafy greens and herbs. There were some smaller competitors, but the major players mostly stayed out of that business, the other major players. Most of the giants played the onion game, except Bertuca. Most of the giants worked the cantaloupe deal, but not Valley Onion. Uh, each company had its own program. You've mentioned onions in the last episode and how crucial they were in the fresh produce industry. And now you've mentioned them again. So it seems like it, this, the onion, it, is a staple for a lot of uh, meals or dishes. How did the packing sheds get the onions? Uh, here, I must say that Griffin and Brand was a different type of business than the rest. There was a scale of volume and international scope that other companies didn't have. Uh, their trophy onion label was shipped year-round uh, from Mexico, Texas, New Mexico, Colorado, and Utah, uh, Idaho, in, in large volumes. Trophy-labeled cantaloupes were shipped eight months of the year from Mexico, El Salvador, Honduras, Dominica, and Texas. And they even had an office in London, England. London, England, 
that kind of makes sense since you were working in Toronto. So obviously there would be an office and in, in, in London. But how did all these companies keep track of everything, including sales? <laughs> Griffin Brand Sales Office had to keep track of its sales to the minute. There were no desktop computers. I, I know that sounds strange, but the sales team kept track of its daily sales on a wall-sized chalkboard at the end of the room. It was gridded by hand like a giant green Excel spreadsheet. Uh, in the top cell, the name and size of the product were written. The next cell down would contain the number of cartons on inventory. The third cell would contain the number of cartons expected to be packed this day. And below that, the column was open with no cells. Uh, a total of cartons on pre-order was written just below the third cell. Uh, at the bottom of the column was the total number of cartons left to be sold. When a salesman took an order over the phone, he wrote it down on a pre-printed form, uh, order form. He then walked to the chalkboard and hand wrote his order in the pertinent column and changed the left to sell number at the bottom to reflect his sale. Then he walked the order into the shipping department and they took it from there. Uh, and the more you sold, the more cardio benefit you got from walking. Were there any cooperatives among the packing sheds or was it all competition? Uh, there were fresh produce cooperatives, cooperatives in the valley, but they were mostly citrus packing and selling cooperatives. Citrus is a slower paced segment of the produce business and it lends itself more to cooperatives than the vegetable and melon deals. Uh, Texas Citrus Exchange was the largest, but I think Edinburgh Citrus Association is the oldest. It was founded in the 1930s and continues today. Uh, the closest thing to being a cooperative in the vegetable and melon deals was selling for other growers. Uh, the majors grew most of their own produce, but not all of it. Uh, most of them also harvested, packed, and sold produce grown by other local farmers. Farmers who didn't want to invest in the tens of millions of dollars uh, in in, in facilities and cooling equipment, but wanted to take a shot at the fresh produce market, would arrange to grow produce for the majors. Uh, the farmer would do what he did best, which is grow the produce, and then the major shipping company would harvest, pack, and sell the product and return the net proceeds to the grower. Although now we have major grocery stores like HEB and Whole Foods, which, by the way, both are Texan, uh, there are many... Um, there are maybe four or five farmer's markets in the Rio Grande Valley. Um, I like going to those farmer's markets and seeing what people grow and sell. How does that compare to those cooperatives? There's a, there's a great difference between cooperatives and farmer's markets. Cooperatives are groups of growers pooling their financial resources and their package volume to create a more efficient marketing position. Sometimes the growers have their own packing facilities 
and, and just form a marketing co-op. Sometimes the growers pull their financial resources and establish packing and cooling facilities, as well as marketing. Farmers markets are places where a small landholder will rent a place to sell a small amount of some product that they've grown. Farmers markets started as soon as people urbanized 5,000 years ago. And farmers markets, also called the street markets, are still where people in the third world shop for food and and, and other things. Uh, American consumers consumers, uh, seem to feel as if they're more connected to the source of their food when they shop at a farmer's market. From your perspective, are farmer's markets vital to the economy? Would And would you even be involved in that business? Farmer's markets are not vital to any economy in the developed world. Uh, The United States, Canada, Western Europe, Japan, Singapore, Australia, New Zealand, fresh produce industries have massive, modern, mechanically refrigerated distribution systems to provide uh, their customers with a huge volume and, and, and wide variety of quality items. Farmers market in developed countries are kind of set up to allow the enterprising small to tiny volume producer to sell his product directly to the consumer without having to invest in any of the terribly expensive in- infrastructure. And it's by its nature self-limiting to an infinitesimal percentage of the total fresh produce sales. Farmers markets benefit farmers in that they can spend money to grow a crop, but spend very little on harvesting, handling, and marketing of the crop. Farmers market operators employ very few people, and they spend next to nothing uh, for facilities to correctly handle the product. It's a system designed to do a small volume of produce on the cheap, but they serve a good purpose. Uh, When consumers visit a farmer's market, it reminds them that produce just does not pop up on the shelves. It reminds them that food comes from the earth and that there are people out there doing the job. Uh, I think it makes them more cognizant of the source of their food. Would I consider working in the farmer's market segment of the industry? Sure, if I can make a buck. Did it ever cross your mind to work in farmer's markets when you were stressed? Oh, no, never. I was an adrenaline junkie. To to paraphrase an old song, uh, I love the fight life. I love to boogie, okay? I love the chaos and constant emergencies requiring instant solutions. I would have been bored to death waiting for a customer to come to my stall. In the commercial fresh produce business, no one waited for people to call. You got on the phone and hustled them every day, all day. Uh, when a commercial produce person sells a truckload of produce, uh, he sold more produce in a few minutes than a farmer's market marketer would sell over several weeks. The commercial salesman has to do that every day, many times a day. As I've mentioned in a previous episode, my tia went where there was work to be done. Uh, She did some, um, I guess, picking jobs in Stark County and in Alamo, but she also went to Michigan and East Texas, places like that up north. 
did salespeople ever leave the valley with migrants? Would you have been able to find a job up north? In fact, Pamela, for most of the history of the produce business, the salesmen migrated with the crops, like to harvest and packing labor. The sales office would be set up in a motel room or some rented cubby hole in a building in the town where the harvest was beginning. Uh, both the laborers and the salesmen would follow the seasonal harvest cycle from south to north and then back again. In the 70s, at the end of the Rio Grande Valley harvest season, Griffin and Brand salesmen would migrate north. They would split up uh, and go to Las Cruces, New Mexico, Hereford, Texas, Plainview, Texas, and Bovita, Texas, and Rocky Ford, Colorado. In the fall, when the Valley Harvest started again, the team would reassemble in, in McAllen. Some produce salesmen worked as independent marketing agents. Uh, they would sell for firms here in the Valley in the winter, and then in summer, they would go to the Panhandle, or even to Michigan, and sell for growers there. Uh, during the 80s, I stayed in McAllen through the summer as part of a team that marketed product being packed in Presidio, Pecos, and Plainview, Texas. And we also sold asparagus imported from Mexico and loaded here in McAllen. So it sounds like there were a lot of jobs for sales in the fresh produce industry. How many people worked at the sales office at Griffin & Brand when you worked there? Fully staffed for the spring onion and melon deal, Griffin & Brand had between 7 and 10 salesmen. It varied over the years. The salesmen who sold the gift fruit and, and fundraising fruit for Alamo Fruit Company would not stay in the office since he had nothing to do with the other commodities. Did you ever feel like your coworkers were your frenemies? Did you get along with everyone? Actually, the Griffin & Brand sales office was a, a teamwork-oriented group. There were disagreements, of course, uh, but they were short-lived and, and, and quickly resolved. Uh, most disagreements arose over uh, when production fell short and customers' orders needed to be cut short or delayed until tomorrow. The decision to cut which orders or delay which orders is a complex one. Major buyers who bought regularly were the last to be cut because their accounts were the most valuable to the company. Customers who bought regularly but in smaller quantity were the next priority. Uh, on the bottom of the order of priority, were the buyers who only occasionally bought small quantities of product. If the choice of which order to cut came down to two customers in the second tier, say, the disagreement might occur about which one to cut. But usually things would be settled quickly because you had no time for inter-office squabbles. And uh, were you friendly with other competitors? Did you have any close friends at other fresh or friends who worked at other fresh produce companies? Uh, at the end of the day, we all worked in the belly of the same beast. Uh, so we all kind of understood each other's work lives and we got along quite well while out having a drink or 
at a Texas Fresh Fruit and Vegetable Association event, but at the start of business the next day, it was dog-eat-dog again. As far as friendship goes, uh, my best friend worked for a competitor, but I think friendships are based on interests and compatibility. I I don't think that work plays maybe just a small role in actual friendship. And as most things in life, all good things must come to an end, sometimes in a bittersweet ways. So when did you leave the business? In 2009, uh, my wife lost the battle to evil cancer. And even before my wife died, I had started a health battle of my own. The company that I had been part of lost its own battle with the forces of change and it closed. My health battle would last for five more years. At the end of all that, I didn't have the requisite capacity or stamina for the daily fight of the produce business. I mean, just not. So I retired. So in the next episode, we will dive into the decline of the fresh produce industry. But uh, could you summarize what listeners should expect? I will say how I saw the sharp, one-blow knockout of the citrus industry. And then I also describe the slower, more complex fall of the giant vegetable and, and melon shippers. And that was episode three of The Lost Empires. We have one more episode with Neil, which will be published sometime next month. Hope you'll tune in. This podcast was produced by me, Pamela Morales, and in collaboration with Lisa Adam, the curator of collections. Song is Carpe Diem by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons. Follow us on Anchor to hear more about the Lost Empires and send your questions through the Anchor app. You can also subscribe to this podcast through the Apple Podcast app or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you for listening to Most History, Stories from the Rio Grande.